All my life, you've been so faithful, Lord. No matter what we go through, you are always there watching over us, protecting us, showing us the way. You've been such a good father to us. We praise you for that. We worship you for that. We ask your presence among us today. Help us to grow closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So today, we're going to continue the, the story through simply known as Ruth. And today, we're going to explore what, what I'll call the third act in the story. You know, we, we've kind of looked at it as a short story. We talked about the theme and the setting and all of that. Well, this is act three of that story. See, the first act was all about Naomi returning home to Israel with one of her daughters-in-law, Ruth. The second act of the story was when Ruth, working out in the fields to gather left-behind grain from the harvest, meets a man named Boaz, who is actually a relative of her dead husband, which brings us to Act 3. One day, Naomi said to Ruth, My daughter, it's time that I found a permanent home for you so that you will be provided for. Boaz is a close relative of ours. He's been very kind by letting you gather grain with his young women tonight. He will be winnowing barley at the threshing floor. Now, do as I tell you. Take a bath and put on perfume and dress in your nicest clothes. Then go to the threshing floor, but, but don't let Boaz see you until he's finished eating and drinking. Be sure to notice where he lies down. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down there. He will tell you what to do. See, it's an interesting beginning. So let's try and unpack what we can learn in this section of the story. And let's also remind ourselves of a few details that we've learned over the past couple weeks. Naomi is an aging widow, often bitter and often without faith in God. Ruth, on the other hand, is a young, attractive widow with, who's very devout and very committed to not only Naomi, but also to God. They were in a foreign land, and now they've come returned to Israel together. They're in poverty, scratching out a living, and Ruth stumbles upon the fields of Boaz, who shows kindness to her and lets her glean food from his fields. But Boaz isn't just kind-hearted towards her. He's also a relative, and not just any relative, but a potential kinsman or family redeemer. A family redeemer was the closest male relative you had outside of your husband or your father. And if anything were to happen to the husband or the father, the family redeemer could step in and care for the family. They had the legal right to act on your behalf. And that could include marrying the widow if she was childless in order to provide an heir for the family. If a poor relative had to sell land to someone outside of the family, that family redeemer could buy it back for them. They could also purchase the freedom of a relative who had been sold into slavery. They could look after the needy and the helpless member of the family, such as an orphan. They could even avenge the killing of a relative. 
Now, if they were a wealthy family member, which Boaz was, he would be able to fulfill all of these duties and more in a relative's life. Relatives like Naomi and Ruth, who were both widows, both poor, and both desperately in need. And as we walk through this act, we're going to be seeing it from three different perspectives. The first angle we're given, which we just read, is from Naomi's perspective. One day, seemingly out of the blue, she says to Ruth, shouldn't I try to find a home for you? And isn't Boaz a relative of a potential family redeemer? So let's make this happen. Now, there's nothing wrong with Naomi suggesting marriage. It was the custom of the day when possible for a widow to remarry a relative of her husband. But there's more going on here because Naomi's first choice would have been to remarry herself. But Naomi knew that she wasn't much of a catch. She was well beyond child-rearing years, and she wasn't, there wasn't much of a chance that Boaz would be interested in marrying her. So she skips down the line and uses Ruth, even though Boaz is old enough to be Ruth's father. Naomi knows a good thing when she sees it. If Ruth can get a shot at Boaz, and have him marry her, well, then happy days are here again. Ruth gets a rich sugar daddy, and Naomi can move out of the projects and into Ruth's new digs with Boaz. Naomi had been hoping for this all along, and apparently it just wasn't happening. Ruth wasn't looking for marriage. Boaz was a man of principle and wasn't going around imposing himself on younger, vulnerable women. So Naomi takes things into her own hands. If Ruth had married someone else, someone outside of the family there wouldn't, that hadn't had a family tie, then they might have left Naomi out in the cold. So she takes advantage of Ruth's commitment to serve Naomi and tells her to do something pretty outrageous. She tells her to get all dolled up, to go back to where the men had been working, and then to go into the area where they are sleeping, and to wait until Boaz is finished eating and drinking, to wait until he goes to bed, actually lying down for the night in whatever form of undress he had taken and then to go and to uncover his feet and to lie down at his feet. In fact, some, that, that, that term there to uncover his feet, some think the best way to translate that, that phrase isn't just feet, but to uncover him up to his waist and then to lie down. Naomi says, do whatever he tells you to do. She wanted Ruth to go and to throw herself at Boaz to see if he could take the hint. And all with Naomi knowing that rather than ending up in marriage, it very easily could have ended up with a little more than a sexual assault. We've learned that Naomi is pretty consistent in doing whatever is best for Naomi, no matter what it might mean for Ruth. So she said, let's get you all fixed up. Let's 
catch Boaz at his most vulnerable moment out in the fields having just laid down and you by his side making yourself available. In Naomi's mind, the use of the bed to get to marriage, that was Naomi's perspective. Now, let's look at it from Ruth's perspective. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. Ruth goes along with everything that Naomi is saying. She, but also remember that Ruth is a foreigner. She's from Moab. She, had, she didn't know the Jewish traditions and customs and with, with regard to marriage and family redeemers. Her mother-in-law tells her that she should get married and that this is the man that is the most proper one to marry and that this was the way to make it known to him that you're open to marriage. So Ruth, wanting to do the right thing, even as a young woman, it meant marrying a much older man and possibly being humiliated at his rejection. She goes along with it. She's going to do whatever it is that serves Naomi, the mother of her dead husband, and also whatever serves and honors God. She prepares herself as, as fully as she can. She places herself at his feet, which in that day was among the Jewish people was a position of servitude, humility, and also one of petition. The idea is still that way in our culture. At least the phrase is, we talk about throwing ourselves at someone's feet or throwing ourselves at the mercy of the court, knowing that what to do with Ruth's character and virtue and background, knowing what we know about her. She clearly has no idea of the sexual connotations and the vulnerability that she is putting herself into. She simply trusts Naomi that this was the best and most honorable and appropriate thing to do. So that's looking at it through Ruth's perspective. Now, before we get to Boaz's perspective, let me chase a rabbit down a rabbit hole for a moment. One of the things I haven't done too much in this series is, is to use symbolism, which is what a lot of people do when they, when they look at this story, particularly making Boaz akin to the role that God plays in our life, and Ruth modeling our response to God. They make Ruth a symbol of something and, and then read into her actions a, a format or a, or a process for coming to God. For example, as, as Ruth came to Boaz, so we should come to God, Ruth could have gone to any man. She could have married any man, but she went to the only one who could redeem her. So we can go to the world for fulfillment, or we should go to the God who can save us. As, as Ruth cleaned herself up before going to Boaz, so we should purify our hearts in coming to God. We should never rush into our Redeemer's presence defiled. Ruth anointed herself 
before going to Boaz, so we should seek the anointing of the Holy Spirit. She changed clothes. And in the New Testament, salvation is pictured as changing clothes, changing our dirty garments for clean linens of white. Ruth learned how to present herself to Boaz so we should approach God with care and humility. You see how this symbolism works. And there, there are some typologies that you find in the star, story, particularly Boaz as the family redeemer and the way that Jesus functions as our spiritual redeemer. But, but the danger is that if you read so much into the story that you miss the story itself, the basic simple teaching points that the story itself gives us independent of any symbolism. See, in literary terms, it stops being exegesis, which is the legitimate interpretation of what we're reading, and starts to become eisegesis, which is reading into the text what really isn't there to begin with. So what you want to do is to read out of the text, not read into the text. And quite frankly, there's a really, this really isn't a lot of intended symbolism in this story. Parallels, maybe. But in chasing those parallels, we can often miss the forest for the trees. So while you can read Ruth that way, it's not really the first and the best way to read it, but that's enough of, of going down the rabbit hole. So far, we've looked at the unfolding of the events in which I'm calling Act 3 of this short story through the perspective of Naomi and the perspective of Ruth. Now, let's look at it to continue to unfold, this time through the eyes of Boaz. Around midnight, Boaz suddenly woke up and turned over and was surprised to find a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? He asked. He asks who she is because it's dark. And at first, he can't make out who she is. That's why Naomi had earlier told Ruth to watch where Boaz laid down because it would be dark. And imagine the mess if she had laid down at the wrong person's feet. But it's even dicier than that. See, during the harvest season, when it came time for harvesting, you would have men working out of town and spending the night out in the fields like you, like you have here with Boaz and his workers. And as a result, it was common for prostitutes to come out of town and to make themselves available to the men on the threshing floor. So as Boaz woke up and found a woman lying at his feet, he could have easily thought that she was a prostitute making herself available. So you can see the risk that Ruth is in here and the risk that Naomi put her in. She could have been accused of prostitution by Boaz and rebuked and sent away. She could have been taken advantage of by Boaz in a moment of weakness, thinking that she was a prostitute and thereby treating her as one. He could have thought that it was in fact Ruth and that she was prostituting herself. This is a pivotal moment in the story. But let's, let's keep reading and find out what happens next. After he asks who she is, she responds, I am your servant Ruth, she replied. 
Spread the corner of your covering over me, for you are my family redeemer. Let's pause here for a second. Last week, you know that, that Boaz, when Boaz first met Ruth, working out in the field as a poor person, allowed to glean what was left behind to the harvesters, he offered up a prayer to her. He said, May the Lord, the God of Israel, whose, whose, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. Now, She's saying to him, will you be a part of the answer to that prayer by spreading your wings over me in marriage? Let's keep reading. The Lord bless you, my daughter, Boaz exclaimed. You are showing even more family loyalty now than you did before. For you have not gone after a younger man, whether rich or poor. Now, you don't, now don't worry about a thing, my daughter. I will do what is necessary, for everyone in town knows you are a virtuous woman. But while it is true that I am one of your family redeemers, there is another man who is more closely related to you than I am. Stay here tonight, and in the morning I will talk to him. If he is willing to redeem you, very well. Let him marry you, but if he is not willing... Then as surely as the Lord lives, I will redeem you myself. Now lie down here until morning. So Ruth lay at Boaz's feet until the morning. But she got up before it was light enough for people to recognize each other. For Boaz had said, no one must know that a woman was here at the threshing floor. Then Boaz said to her, bring your cloak and spread it out. He measured six scoops of barley into the cloak and placed it on her back. Then he returned to the town. First, it speaks volumes about Ruth that when Boaz wakes up and finds her lying at his feet and she said she was there for noble purposes that, that he never doubted her. And notice how touched he was that, that she would come to him for marriage. He says that this kindness was, was greater than the first she had shown, which was a reference to Ruth's commitment to her family ties. She had been faithful to her tie to Naomi, and now she was once again showing faithfulness to the family by choosing to come to Boaz as her family redeemer, even though he was an older man. And then, again, this is an indication of Ruth's beauty both inside and out. Boaz is paying her a compliment, saying that she could have had any husband that she wanted. Now you may be wondering why Boaz, so obviously admiring her and attracted to her, hadn't acted before as her family redeemer. Why hadn't he proposed marriage before this time? Well, we, we don't know all of the reasons. It, it could be that up until this moment, Perhaps Ruth had been still wearing the traditional clothing of a grieving widow. And Boaz would have had the decency and the honor not to invade her season of grief in talking about marriage. But now, being told by Naomi to dress nicely, that, that could have meant, show him that you are no longer grieving and that you are ready to be approached to be married. It could also very much have been that, that he knew something 
that we didn't until just now, that he wasn't the closest family redeemer. He didn't have the legal right to take it upon himself to propose marriage to her. Boaz agrees to marry her if he is able and assures her that all will give their blessing to that marriage. Even though it, she's not from Israel, she's from Moab, and because everyone there knows her virtue. And, when, and again, we've talked about this in prior weeks, knowing how the Jews felt about Moabites. It's an astounding thing to be able to say that about Ruth, that everyone knew how virtuous she was. And then he drops something of a bombshell, that he may not be the true family redeemer. There may be another man who has the right to fulfill this duty to Ruth. So Boaz pledges to check into it, and that if the man does not want to redeem Ruth, or is not able to do so, that Boaz himself will then have the right, and he will most definitely exercise that right. Boaz then invites her to stay where she is because it wouldn't have been safe for her to return home alone at night. But notice what he says. He says, stay here for the night. And then the next line says, so she stayed at his feet. Both Boaz and Ruth stayed in character and exhibited their respective virtues. This never evolved into a sexual encounter. He was going to honor her virtue, even going so far as to make sure that, that she left before anyone would see her, so that they wouldn't think ill of her. What she was doing was highly unorthodox, and he knew that, that she didn't know better, but that Naomi had instructed her to do this. And he wanted to protect her from people thinking that she did this very forward, this very provocative act to try to seduce him. And if anyone suspected that there had been any sexual relationship between them, they would not have been able uh, to, to have the kind of sacred marriage that he really wanted to have. Because there were laws that said if a Jewish man had relationship with a Gentile woman, and Ruth was a Gentile, before marriage but then wanted to act as the family redeemer to, to her through marriage, he was prohibited from doing so. So here we see Boaz's intentions with Ruth were nothing but honorable. And again, what a contrast. You have Naomi, who would do anything at Ruth's expense to serve herself. And then you have Boaz, who would do anything at his own expense to serve Ruth. So how does Act 3 end? With Ruth going home and a very anxious Naomi waiting to hear what happens. Let's finish the story. When Ruth went back to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, What happened, my daughter? Ruth told Naomi everything Boaz had done for her. And she added, he gave me these six scoops of barley and said, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said to her, just be patient, my daughter. Until we hear what happens, the man won't rest until he has settled things today. It's an interesting note here. 
related to the original language that this is written in. That opening line, how did it go, my daughter? Is, it's a difficult phrase to translate. It can actually be read, who are you? Which sounds odd until you realize maybe what Naomi was up to all along. She was asking, well, do I have a Mrs. Boaz here? Ruth tells her everything and then gives her the gift that Boaz had sent. And when you first read about the barley earlier in this section, it seems like a little more than a gift to Ruth so that the prospective bride would, would not go away without some small token of his affection and his intent. But here we read that it wasn't for her at all. It wasn't for Ruth that he gave these, this barley. And I don't want to read too much into this because, again, that would be kind of going from exegesis into eisegesis, but you must wonder whether Boaz knew exactly what he, who and what he was dealing with, a virtuous Ruth and a conniving Naomi. Because Ruth gives Naomi the gift of barley and then says, Boaz didn't want me to come back to you empty-handed. Did you catch that? In other words, Boaz knows what you're up to. So here's something for you. Knowing that Naomi undoubtedly sent Ruth his way and told her what to do. Now, I may be giving Boaz too much credit for being a bit on the wickedly witty side, but who knows? Or it could have just been that he was an old man who was just set up with a very pretty girl and is saying, thanks, Naomi. There's a lot more barley where that came from. Now, that's where we're left hanging this week. Until next week, where we'll dig into the final act and the end of the story. Now, we don't know whether Boaz will be able to redeem her or whether Ruth will be thrown into the house of another man. All we know is that Ruth went to Boaz in the middle of the night at Naomi's directive, and the plot has thickened. And there are some important points in all of this for us to think about for each of our own individual lives. How often, like Naomi, have we been willing to put someone else in danger or to put someone into a compromising situation or to be used in some form or fashion, often without them even knowing it, just to further ourselves? How often do we manipulate events and situations to benefit ourselves? without really caring about how it will impact someone else. Now think about Ruth. How many times have we known what to be the best thing to do, the right thing to do, the most committed, the most faithful thing to do, but it wasn't the most appealing thing to do? And we did it anyways. See, isn't that the real test of faithfulness? Not doing what's easy, not doing what's desirous, but what doing what isn't. Ruth chooses faithfulness to Naomi and faithfulness to God by going to Boaz and, to, and laying at his feet, though he wasn't the most desirous bachelor in town. What, what kind of decisions face us like that? And then think about Boaz. What situations do we find ourselves in where we're called to be people of character, people of virtue, when we hold the upper hand, 
See, character isn't tested in the light of the day. Character is tested in the dark of the night. It's tested when no one else is looking, when you can get away with it, when you hold the power and you can do something, but you don't. Do we, do we pass? Or maybe the better question is, would we pass the Boaz test? See, integrity. Integrity is who we are when no one else is looking. There's a lot to reflect on here, a lot to learn from. Today, I, I want to end by asking, we all saw three young women make a decision to follow Jesus this morning. Stepping forward, making a public commitment, a public decision to follow Jesus. And I don't know whether there's anyone else here who might want to make that decision, who might want to commit their lives to following Jesus. So during this last song, I'm just going to sit here on the steps, and, and I'm going to be praying. And I've asked Celeste, and I didn't ask any other elders why I said that. So if you're one of the other elders, if they'll come up, you can see either Celeste or whoever that other elder that comes up is, and, and talk to them. If you want to make that decision today to commit your life to Jesus and to be baptized, come forward during this.